listener. I've got a hybrid at the moment, but I think the next step is definitely going to be an EV. Or like the plug-in hybrid, that would be maybe the next option as well. It could be the next step, like a, a go-between and to go into the electric. This topic has actually been something of a constant for us. And during the break between season one and two of the pod, we hit the whiteboard and we have widened this lane of conversation for you. So I know that charging stations are being built, but they're not as commonplace as petrol stations. So having that in the back of your mind that you can pull over at any petrol station is really... I think a good selling point for a lot of people, especially in the rural locations. I know when I'm out in um, Queensland... It could be the way forward for lots of Aussies to take that first step. So we'll look at things like plug-in hybrids now also and how they could help you learn to live with an EV. Hi, everybody. Greg Russ with you, along with Nadine Armstrong. She has trouble living with me on this podcast. I'm very sorry. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Season 2 of The Pod. We have heard your questions. We've loved your feedback along the way. We're ready to hit the ground running with the second season, with a few changes or software updates too. We're going to come at you on a more regular basis. We've got a bit more of a a bite-sized offering along the way too. There's some good things, isn't there? Yeah, you're going to be hearing from us a little more often. So we'll be dedicating a whole episode to news our EVs and the latest cars on the market. So those episodes will be released fortnightly. Today's episode is a bit of a deep dive. We realise that the transition, as Nadine said, to EVs is a bit of a slow one. Marathon, if you like, not a race. And with that in mind, we want to make sure that we talk about all of the options towards zero emissions motoring. It's really important because not everyone is ready for an EV And some people may never be, you know, kicking, screaming and so on. (laughs) Today's episode and season two more broadly will explore not only EVs, but the alternatives, stepping stones, if you will, to EV ownership. So when we think about alternatives to combustion engines, we typically think of three offerings, right? Hybrid, plug-in hybrid and proper electric vehicles. And we're lucky enough to have two guests on the show today who are going to talk about two of those very offerings. So plug-in hybrid or a pure electric vehicle, somebody from Polestar and somebody from Mitsubishi. Because what we know, Rusty, is that there are different lifestyles that require different types of vehicles. So it might not be perfect for you, but it might be perfect for someone else. So let's have a little deep dive into that today. I think we're going to call it Pitch My Ride, aren't we? We're going to have a bit of fun. I can't wait. But before we get into that, it's probably worth opening the batting with a a simple definition. What do these three options mean? Let's kick off with hybrid. Yeah, it's a great one. I think, well, hybrid is often, you know, called conventional hybrid and these vehicles are an entree into electrified motoring. Jeez, I'm hungry, an entree, yes. <laughs> the, term, the term refers to any vehicle that uses a combination of internal combustion engine and electric motors or motor. Hybrids use a small battery pack that's recharged directly from the engine, so no plugging in, or regen braking when you decelerate. So generally speaking, hybrid vehicles are around 10 to 30% more fuel efficient than comparable ICE vehicles. There's an incentive to start with. For the most part, that experience of driving a hybrid vehicle is no different to driving any other conventional car. What about plug-in hybrids? Exactly as it sounds, a plug-in hybrid is a, a, a fusion between conventional hybrid and a dedicated electric vehicle. Yeah, absolutely, just as it sounds. So essentially, it works like the hybrid with both an internal combustion engine and an electric motor or motors, but it features a larger battery pack. So 
in some cases, the EV driving range of a plug-in hybrid is up to 80 k's on a single charge. Ideal for city errands, running around town. Yeah, perfect. While the choices are increasing, there's only a limited number of plug-in hybrid vehicles on the Australian market at the moment. Popular choices, MG, for example, uh, Mitsubishi's Eclipse Cross and Outlander, the Cupra Fomentor, the Mini Countryman. Let's think for a moment now about all electric, which has been pretty much the focus of our first season, which people can go back and listen if you haven't already done so. Head back to the library at some point and enjoy season one of What's Under the Bonnet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's people ready to make that big step. Basically, if you want to abandon your reliance on fossil fuels altogether, go straight to zero emissions motoring. It's the pure EVs that you're after. So that's the basic overview. It gives you a snapshot of the differences of technology. Do you remember that show, This Is Your Life? Do you reckon, do. Do you reckon do. producer Kelsey could Actually, kind of Actually, no, roll I'm, I'm of, too, far oh, too young. Far too young no, for that, what show? To you. What show? We could roll some of that kind of This Is Your Life music underneath the introduction for our, our guest here, whose career started as a daily newspaper journalist, quickly gravitated to the motoring sphere. He's an ace in that space, has written about motorcycles, motorsport, motor vehicles for nearly 40 years, and in that time has edited, contributed to many fine publications, both in Australia and internationally for that matter, a long-term very valued member of our car sales editorial team. We can't think of anyone better to give us a kind of retrospective on the automotive landscape while we talk about the transition to this kind of new energy vehicles in Australia. We welcome back to the podcast the great Bruce Newton. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Rusty. Well, that's a very kind introduction. I'm going to have to, I should have recorded that and spread that around. (laughs) (laughs) We'll send you one. Now, hybrids, I mean, lots of people, when you say that word, immediately think of Toyota Prius, and that as a vehicle has been around for over 20 years. We forget that. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact is now hybrids are so common in the Toyota lineup, they don't even sell the Prius in Australia anymore. They've spread mm. hybrid right throughout their range and their goal is to be more than 50% electrified in their sales within a couple of years. So that gives you an idea of how popular hybrid is for them and how ambitious they are with it. The very word effectively means a blend, doesn't it? We, we've got a traditional uh, ice power plant complemented by an electric motor. It is a, a proven platform, but, but how worthwhile... Is this as an option in the current market, in your opinion? Oh, I think it's very valid and it serves a number of purposes. First off, you've got the fuel savings and therefore the reduction in emissions that a hybrid delivers in comparison to an orthodox drivetrain powered only by fossil fuels. And then you've also got, you can almost look at it as an introductory primer for people who are increasingly become aware that their motoring future is going to involve electrification but maybe want to get an understanding of it, a taster of it, and that's a pretty good way to get into it before you jump all the way to, say, a a battery electric vehicle. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Bruce, but if anyone's looking at buying a hybrid, I know some people are concerned that that technology in itself may are they backing the right team essentially if they buy a hybrid mm. now is you know should they be thinking about plug-in yet which we'll talk about in a second so a hybrid still a good investment now I think so they seem to be holding up in their market resale value if that's what you're asking about natives um and you look at the the waiting list for things like rav4s which still stretch out to rav4 hybrid I should say mm. which still stretches out for more than 12 months People are not only wanting them, they're willing to wait for them. So I think it shows that, yeah, there's a lot of interest in them. Eventually, 
a petrol vehicle, be it petrol, electric or um, pure petrol or diesel, will eventually fade out. And if you're left holding the bag with one in a, I don't know how many years' time, I wish I knew then I'd be, you know, I'd make a million bucks. But <laughs> if you're left holding the bag, eventually you'll you'll suffer. But for now, I think you're pretty safe in investing in hybrid. Just as we continue to sort of tell the timeline of the story here, are there any little things we need to keep in mind if a listener decides to put a toe in the water and they're going hybrid first before they go plug-in or, or battery electric vehicle? If they went hybrid, are there any little key considerations you think they, they need to make? I think it's first off understanding the amount of electrical assistance you get mm-hmm. because it is helpful mostly in a round-town situation. So it's a supplement to the petrol-electric drivetrain rather than the plug-in, which is another step along, which, as you say, we'll get to in a second. But, yeah, it's just understanding where its primary assistance is provided, which is in slow-speed sort of like urban traffic areas rather than out on the highway or, or something like that. So if you're looking for – if you get, if you spend a lot of time cruising on the freeway into city – you're not going to get the advantages that someone who is using it as a daily commuter from their suburban home into the city would gain. So let's move on to plug-in hybrids now. Pev, PHEV, PEVs. We love an acronym in this business. (laughs) Whatever people like to call them. So we know that they are becoming more popular and we're seeing manufacturers launch them as as we speak. You know, Audi, Mitsubishi, Peugeot, they've all got new plug-in hybrids on the market. Talk to us Mm. about that as a transition piece. Yeah, the, the 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 hybrid cell is pretty simple, right? It's pretty basic, it, it, but the plug-in hybrid cell is more complicated because it's a more sophisticated electrical system. It's got a bigger battery so it can run longer in a purely electric zero emissions way. That uh, additional feature comes at an additional and substantial cost because batteries are expensive. So you can run maybe 40, 45 kilometres with that uh, electric system without uh, using the petrol engine, but it will eventually kick in and you will still consume petrol and emit CO2. The other disadvantage of PHEVs is the additional weight. You've essentially got two drivetrains in one. You've got at least one electric motor, often more. You've got the big battery, so you've got additional weight, additional cost, so it sort of dilutes the impact of the PHEV system. And the other thing about PHEV, it is a very good idea if you plug it in because that's that's the point. It's like an electric car and it's another step towards that electric future. With an electric car, you have to plug it in and keep that battery charged if you're going to gain the advantages that the system can deliver. It's probably worth us touching on as well that the different systems in different manufacturer models where you can select drive modes essentially to be pure EV and at some stage the car overrides that and kicks in to use that petrol or power. So, you know, different ways in which you use your car, but occasionally the car will actually say, no, I need I need petrol power now. That's exactly right. The Outland is a classic example of that, um, the Mitsubishi. Someone will no doubt immediately email, email in and correct me here, but it doesn't use its petrol engine as a performance, boost performance until over 80 kilometres an hour, I think it is, when the when there's battery power. And then when the battery is exhausted, then the petrol engine takes over. And the, the Mitsubishi also has multiple modes, so you can drive 
with the petrol engine actually pure, acting purely as a generator to recharge the battery or it can supplement performance or you can switch the petrol engine off altogether and run purely on battery mode. There's a Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very clever system, but I emphasise if you're going to get the value out of it, you have to plug it in. One of the reasons you have to do that for anything else is cost consideration. A hybrid's about a $2,000 to $3,000 cost surcharge, say, if you're talking about RAV4. The Outland of PHEV is about a fifteen dollars to $17,000 surcharge over a standard Outlander. That's a lot of fuel cost you've got to recoup, and the only way you do that is to run on electricity. So it's worth just touching back on something Nadine said a moment ago there around some of the, the good examples that are currently in the market. And I know this question, Bruce, depends on your budget and what your needs are and so on, but just, just talk about a couple of the plugins that that are good at the moment that have, have garnered both yours and Nadine's attention when you've driven them and so on, what you think of them? Outlander. I mean, we've just talked about Outlander. It's 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 very good because the pricing by PHEV standards is not too bad. I mean, not too bad. It's over $50,000 heading up towards $70,000 before on-road costs. But a lot of the PHEVs are luxury models and that's because they can absorb the cost of the extra drivetrain system. There are some cheaper PHEVs. I should add, there's some Chinese ones like uh, uh, MG has a PHEV. I haven't driven it yet. I can't be either for or against on that one. But the Outlander would be the primary one that I've driven that I've been impressed by. But again, I I can't stress this too much. You've got to use the system properly to extract the advantage of a PHEV, whereas the hybrid is set and forget. I feel like the PHEV, the plug-in hybrid, is also something that Quite a few people that don't live in the suburbs, sort of, sort of rural, semi-rural people, find that a more comfortable transition rather than moving to an EV because if they're waiting for public infrastructure in their area and so on. So it does give them the ability to tootle around town mm. on EV power or, or battery power. And then when they need to do the longer journeys, that's when they're calling on their petrol power. That's spot on, Nadine. And there's, that brings up another thing too, which is the advent of plug-ins now with utes. So we've just had the Ford Ranger ute plug-in announced for 2025. So that... Talk about excited market. Yeah. <laughs> so the interesting thing there is that uh, there's not many diesel, as you know, utes are generally diesel-powered. Plug-in hybrid drivetrains don't really work as diesel. There's, there's various different technical reasons for that. So they're going with petrol and that hopefully will provide a solution that will reduce fuel consumption and still provide the torque and pulling power that in a petrol engine that diesel currently provides. So that's going to be a really interesting step forward. The Prado comes next year with a hybrid system, with a petrol electric hybrid system. That's one's not confirmed for Australia, but it is one we expect to see. So there's some really interesting things happening where petrol can replace diesel. Bruce, my thoughts around the the strategy for some manufacturers, so people bringing out plug-in hybrids now and a lot of talk around that, you know, is that potentially a strategy to keep the buyer on brand? I mean, if they're not ready for an EV, are they going to buy our plug-in hybrid now and then eventually we will transition them to the pure EV? Yeah, I guess so. I think there's um, plug-ins like hybrids represent a, a, an intermediate step, give people a feeling for what electrification's like. The plug-in's great because then you, you get into that discipline of plugging in. Have I mentioned that people should plug in hybrid plug in hybrids? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've said that about 10 times already. Um, plug in plug your PHEV. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a certain amount of that. There's some challenges for some brands to get battery electric vehicles to market. 
making that 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 jump all the way. So there's a variety of reasons that's happening. Bruce Newton, thank you for coming on the show. This has been your electric life. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rusty. Listener mailbox. Oh, good day, Nadine. I've got some mail here for you. Uh, welcome back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ian from Patterson Lakes. <laughs> I went to the recent Melbourne EV show and I listened to some of the speakers there. Thank you, Ian. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We were blown away by how good those three days were. He says, I'm still a little unsure about what battery is best for me and is bigger necessarily better. Uh, it's a common question, actually, because you, you kind of think about, oh, do I want a V6 or do I want a V8? And it's similar when you're talking about an EV because there are different battery sizes. You can't always choose your battery size depending on the car. It's more you probably have to think about what manufacturer you want to go with. So essentially, the smaller the battery is the less power, the larger battery, more power. But what that also means is greater range. So mm. as you move up the size of your battery, that means that you're going to have more range from one fully charged battery. So it probably is where you should sit and think, how often am I driving? How far do I need Horses to drive? Courses, exactly. It? Yeah. It's you know similar to, a, do I need a 50-litre fuel tank or do I need a 90-litre fuel tank? Am yep. I doing 400 kilometres in a day? For example, if you look at an MG4, for example, that runs a 51 kilowatt hour battery, and that translates to around 350 kilometers on a full charge. Step up to something like a Polestar 2, which runs an 82 kilowatt hour battery, that is 655 kilometers on a charge. So have a, have a really good look at your driving styles and then your budget. Obviously, smaller batteries, more affordable, larger batteries, for generally speaking, more expensive. So a little bit of homework. Talk to your manufacturer if you're uh, if you're going into a dealership, etc., or getting some advice there. That's probably the best thing, and figure out what best suits your driving needs. Uh, little apology, we love our postman here at Listener. By the way, I was, wasn't impersonating him then. <laughs> So we've been talking a lot about the different types of electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles, plug-in hybrid electric and everything in between. But how do you know what's the right choice for you? That is the question, Rusty, isn't it really? You know, we can talk all day about battery composition, range, charging capabilities and so on. But until you actually sit in the seat of a battery electric vehicle or plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, drive it around and get a feel for it, it's always going to be a bit of a mystery. Because here's the thing. Battery technology is so good across the board that what EV you choose really comes down to your lifestyle. We might not be able to put you in the seat of a Bev or Fev on this show, but we can give you the next best thing. We have invited both Polestar and Mitsubishi to come on the show, almost did a bit of a game show scenario here, to give us the lowdown on their flagship battery electric vehicle or plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Yeah, and we're going to ask them both the same five questions and then play a little game, which we like to call Pitch My Ride. Come on, put your, put Can your you best do that? my voice. Pitch My Ride. Well, it's more playful than that. <laughs> Pitch My Ride. Because let's face it, it's a jungle out there. And who doesn't love a fast-paced sales pitch? It's a jungle out there. <laughs> uh, first up is Tim Clark from Mitsubishi Australia. They produce a quality range of cars, including some of our top-selling plug-in hybrid models. Tim, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Rusty. Great to be here again. It's good to have you with us again. Um, in your opinion, what unique advantages come with um, driving a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle? 
PHNV is really, uh, it's, it's big advantages are uh, it's short range EV capability and the benefits that uh, e-mobility offers. So things like uh, cost per kilometre of driving, uh, reducing your emissions and that EV driving experience around that instant torque delivery. And, you know, with all that also comes the reduced uh, need to visit a, a petrol station, which can sometimes be an inconvenience. And then we add on top of that, that EV benefit, uh, a long range capability. So we've got a in the Mitsubishi PHEV both a, a range extending hybrid and a, a conventional hybrid system that, that kick in once that, that battery can no longer support pure EV driving. And that gives us a, a combined range of over 850 kilometres. And it also means that we, we don't need to, to stop and charge on a, on a long journey. Which brings us to question two. How big of a consideration is access to public charging infrastructure when purchasing a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle? Okay. Uh, Well, before I answer that directly, let me first give my recommendation that I wouldn't buy a PHEV if you can't or don't intend to plug it in on a regular basis. And that's because the advantages of the PHEV powertrain are realised by its ability to operate as a short-range EV on a regular basis. So if you don't plug in, then you're effectively driving a heavy hybrid electric vehicle and will likely be less efficient than such a vehicle. So PHEV's strongest use case, I would say, is regular short to medium range commuting, utilising home and destination charging for EV driving as much as possible, with occasional long range commuting without need to rely on public charging infrastructure. And just to clarify, a short range journey would be somewhere under 60 kilometres, and a medium range would be under 150 and long range being anywhere over that. So Tim, how often do uh, PHEVs need to be serviced and where's that done, how much does it cost and so on? Yep, so Mitsubishi PHEVs operate on a a 12-month or 15,000-kilometre service schedule through the authorised Mitsubishi dealer network. So we currently have over 180 locations nationally that can service our PHEV vehicles. Service costs... um, for both our PHEV offerings, the Outlander and Eclipse Cross, are capped for 10 years. For the Outlander, the minimum service cost is about $350 over the 10 years, looking at a total cost of $5,090. And for the Eclipse Cross, a total cost over the 10 years of $5,940. Now, Tim, we're changing pace a little bit. Question four, pretend I'm someone who doesn't like planning or <laughs> stopping at petrol stations. How would you convince me that a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle is the right choice for my road tripping family? Yeah, I think that's an easy one for us, actually, Nadine. So with a, a five plus two seat medium SUV capacity, all-wheel drive capability and a 1600 kilogram towing capacity, the Outlander PHEV packaging is really extremely flexible and can accommodate a diverse range of needs and road trip scenarios for families of different sizes and appetites for adventure. And adding on top of that, PHEV doesn't require charging of any type to reach your destination. Refueling time is minimal, so you can splash and dash on the go and save the long stops for the locations that add to your adventure. Can we finish the interview part of this by just simply asking, what can a PHEV do that no other vehicle can? Yeah, for Mitsubishi PHEVs, uh, one of the, the key things that we can do that others can't is V2X capability. I'll break that down into to three different types of V2X. So first one is V to grid, vehicle to grid. So the PHEV can act as a a mobile energy storage system 
storing renewable energy when it's abundant, and then you can transport that energy to where it's needed and supply to the grid when it's needed to help decarbonise the grid. And there's also a potential to generate an income stream off of a feed-in tariff for pushing back into the grid. In an off-grid scenario, we call this vehicle to home in this case. Um, So in off-grid or emergency scenarios, vehicle to home capability provides resilience via its ability to act as a mobile generator. This could be via backup power to your home in a blackout during a a climate event or simply to power up your solar-powered off-grid shack when the sun goes down. And then when the onboard battery is depleted, you can run the petrol-powered onboard generator to charge it back up to keep you going. And then finally, uh, V2L or vehicle to load opens up a whole new category of things like uh, e-camping. So you can take your creature comforts with you when you travel to uh, remote or or non-powered campsites. And then uh, finally, uh, what PHEV can do that other vehicles can't, well, this one I like to refer to as uh, the Bowser that comes with your home. So otherwise known as a PowerPoint, you can use it to top up your driving range while you're sleeping, avoid the inconvenience of a petrol station for Monday to Friday commuting, zero tailpipe emissions and also the cost benefit of electricity versus petrol. Now we have Polestar. Um, If you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, you will acutely know who they are. They only produce Bevs and Larissa Mirabelli is here to tell us why. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, exactly. In your opinion, what unique advantages come with driving a battery electric vehicle? beauty about battery battery electric vehicles is that you actually cut yourself off from the fossil fuel industry. You're totally no longer reliant on heading to a petrol station. You can plug it in at home. You can plug it on the road and and you just keep going. So we know that with Polestar, for example, the Polestar 2, you're reducing your climate impact by 50% if you're charging with renewable energy. And in in Australia, with that huge uptake of of solar that we have here, it's it's great to see more, more people transitioning across. How big of a consideration is access to public charging infrastructure when purchasing a battery electric vehicle? I think it's a a big consideration for people making the jump. So everyone wants to know where they can charge if they decide to drive to Sydney for the day or something like that. But I think once you make that that transition to electric vehicles, you start to really calm down a little bit on, on where can I charge and when can I charge? Because the vast majority of people at the moment are charging at home. And so For most people day to day, that's what you're going to be doing. And I think the average Australian travels 34 kilometres a day. So if you have a a, a, garage at home, it's it's super simple. And even if you're on the road, so for about 18 months, I was charging on the road and you start to understand where your local charges are and, and which ones that you can visit more often. What about servicing now? So how often do BEVs need uh, that attention and where is that done and how much does that cost? Yeah, well, this is the beauty of electric vehicles is that there's less moving parts. So for, for Polestar, we sort of suggest a servicing every two years or 30,000 kilometres. So it's it's really simple. And because there's, um, you know, you're looking at air filters and you're looking at tyres and, and basic stuff, that the costs are really minimal. It's a, it's a really cost-effective sort of way of, of moving about. Larissa, pretend I'm someone who doesn't like planning. That's probably easy. That's very hard to do, Larissa. <laughs> yes. You know Nadine well. So. How, how would you convince me that a battery electric vehicle is the right choice for my road tripping family? Well, the easiest thing in, in Pulsar is that you just ask Google. So it's got full Google integration. You say, hey, Google, take me to Sydney. And it tells you where you have to stop along the way. And it's sort of 
um, it's optimising your charging. So really it's telling you to charge along the public ch- highways at up to 80% and keep moving because that's the fastest that you're going to do. Don't charge to 100% because it kind of trickle charges between 80% and 100%, but it couldn't be easier. And then eventually you start to get a hang of it and, and you don't have to ask the, the car all the time where to stop. But the plug share app is also great. It's just a check it in and make sure they're online and make sure there have been no, no challenges with anybody before you. But it's, it's super simple, even for Unidex. <laughs> You've been around the automotive industry for some time. What can a battery electric vehicle do that other vehicles can't? Well, I think it's that, you know, as we sort of talked about that cost of ownership, it's 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 unbelievable that some electric providers or energy providers rather are offering sort of off-peak rates of $0.08 cents a kilowatt in some cases or people have got their solar and they're charging from that and the, and the servicing costs are, are really limited, especially at the moment where people are kind of looking at how they reduce their, their monthly bill. I mean, it makes sense to, to switch over to a battery electric vehicle and levels of connectivity are just insane so as i mentioned with our google integration you can ask the car to do anything that you need to do and you don't have to take your hands off the steering wheel and then of course there's the fun factor and everybody loves a bit of fun when they're when they're driving their cars and and electric vehicles just kind of feel like the future they feel like something you should be driving now you know as opposed to sort of waiting for that revs to kick in and the car to gain momentum it's just instant and it's it's huge fun Time now to play what we are calling Pitch My Ride. Tim Clark from Mitsubishi, you have 60 seconds to pitch your vehicle to Rusty. He's a rural dweller. Global Roma, <laughs> getting more climate conscious, likes camping, big dogs and a family of four. It's time to play Pitch My Ride. The average Australian daily commute is under 50 kilometres round trip, but inevitably... When it's time to travel long distances, PHEV has a credible combined range utilising range extending and conventional hybrid technology to get you to your destination without needing to plug in at all. As Aussies, it's our birthright to explore our vast country and experience adventure on our own terms. We think PHEV has you covered for both. Mitsubishi has been refining PHEV technology for 10 years now and with the latest generation Outlander PHEV, we have V2X, an all-wheel drive capability with five-plus two-seat capacity in a medium SUV offering. PHEV will not suit all use cases, especially those that have restricted access to home or destination charging. But if you do, you should check out PHEV if it suits your lifestyle because it might just be the best of both worlds. Love it. Larissa from Polestar, you have 60 seconds to pitch your vehicle to Nadine. And in my best game show voice here, Larissa, I can tell you that Nadine is an inner city dweller, busy work life, an exhausted mum, a super mum though, as you know, style conscious, regular carpool driver and an avid recycler. It's time to play Pitch My Ride. Well, it's school holidays in Victoria, so we know that everyone's fighting with each other. The house has been chaotic for you, Nadine. And now to top it off, you're uh, you're making dinner and you've gotten a key ingredient. So it's into the car, but pre-setting the climate before you get in because it's a hot day and you don't want it to be stinking hot when you get in. You close the door and it's quiet for the first time all day, but you're getting to the end of your street and you can see that there's traffic up ahead. So you ask Google to find the fastest route for you to get to the shops. You get there in record time. So your day is on the up. You head in, you grab your groceries, you're back in the car and you're thankful as you're backing out for the acoustic warning system for people who are behind you so that there's no incidents there. 
you're driving home and and, uh, and a bike shoots out from a lane that you weren't expecting, but the standard pedestrian and cyclist detection stops you from anything happening and you get home and you park up, you plug in your car and you can stand back and just, you know, admire the, the design of this car. And as you lock it, it gives you a little light sequence to kind of say goodbye. You get in the house and everyone's quiet and things are looking good for you. Larissa Mirabelli, why do I get the sense that you've done this before like a total game show pro? That was awesome. I get the feeling I'm doing exactly that. I'm pulling up at home but potentially not getting out of the car. There's that lovely silence you get once you close the, you know, the, the, the back door with the kids and you walk around to the driver's door and it's this little moment of silence that I think every mother just loves. And then you get in the car ready to go again. So, yeah, so thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. It's good to be back, isn't it's it? It's so great to be back. And we've got more coming your way because we've uh, we've dialled up the frequency for season two. More Rusty and Nadine. Oh, what more could you ask for? More Nadine is good. Less Rusty is preferred. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a chocolate box season this, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're covering a lot more this time. So it's fantastic. As we said, we're coming to you fortnightly, but with more information. I missed out on the invite. You got to go to the Passion Experience event recently with uh, the good people from Michelin. So that prompted us to do uh, an episode coming up on tyres because yeah. we have you know specific tyres for EVs, don't yeah, we? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that every time someone talks about an EV, you know, there was this conversation around, yes, but they chew through tyres quickly and they do. That's why you need tyres specifically designed for your EV. EVs are heavier, so they will chew through tyres. But yeah, while I was there, I had the chance to talk to David Lang from Michelin and we're going to have a little sneak peek at that right now. So when we talk about an EV tyre, uh, they're carrying a lot more load typically. They have to be extremely quiet. They have to have low rolling resistance. So when you're talking about all these things coming together, there's some contradiction. So with all tyres, we all take some benefit from Michelin's time in motorsport, whether it be the highest sport tyre down to the everyday tyre. And EV is no exception. Michelin for a long time was involved in Formula E and we are still involved in Le Mans and there is an element of rolling resistance and, uh, and load carrying. And in all Michelin tyres, whether they're suitable for EV, carry this technology from the track to the street. Now, if that excites you, we have a whole episode coming up in Season 2 where we talk tyres, servicing and a whole lot more. Now, follow the podcast. Best way to get your notifications when a new episode drops, as we said, now on a fortnightly basis. We'd love you to rate and review the podcast too. Tell your friends about it. We've had a great response, we discovered, at the Melbourne uh, EV show. And we are looking forward to bringing you the next step not too far down the road. Bye for now, everybody. Listener.